Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in DPEC. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tenemlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on with show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Launch Podcast, sponsored by Tandem Launch. I'm Bobby Bedochka, your host, and today joining me is partner and patent agent from BCF, Julien Lachere. Hi, Bobby. Really nice meeting you. Really nice being with you guys today. Uh, I guess we'll be talking about uh, IP tech and patent and any other topics that you may find relevant, yes. Bobby. All, how, all those things go together. Thank you so much for being here. So let's jump right into it. So um, who are you, uh, Julien? And um, maybe just tell us a bit about you and BCF. Yeah, sure. Uh, not that I usually like to talk about me, but I'll start with me, which probably is more interesting than telling the story of a law firm. <laughs> I'm, uh, believe it or not, I'm a software engineer by training. I ended up doing a master of research in data sciences, but that was 15 years ago. And at the time, the field was much less trendy as it is today. So I was struggling whether or not I should go for a PhD and becoming a professor. I did not really feel like it. And I've turned to something that could use engineering and that was more uh, connected to the business. And I ended up discovering almost randomly uh, patent law and IP law. And I started my career um, in that field, right after engineering. I worked for uh, a big corporation in the aerospace industry. I worked for a Canadian law firm. And uh, in 2014, I've joined the BCF uh, and I've been there since then. And uh, I think one, one, one personal uh, struggle that I had was to try to find out a path that makes engineering, patent law, and entrepreneurship. And I ended up, uh, after starting my career, mostly working for a big corporation and multinational, I figured that maybe the skills that I've learned and developed could also be useful uh, to young emerging tech startup companies. And we can go back to it, but uh, um, while I was uh, working in an aerospace company, I've helped at night, a friend of mine who was starting his uh, startup in the fintech uh, domain. And essentially, uh, the company was developing solution to turn an iPhone into a payment terminal. And uh, at the time, as I was back in 2011, no one has thought about uh, turning the, 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 the iPhone or your Samsung device into a payment terminal, meaning that you're not, it's not about emulating the credit card. It's about emulating the terminal so that you would get rid of those terminals that cost a fortune to a basic company charge you 70 bucks a month and they take two or 3% as a fee for each transaction. So uh, what we've done on the IP front at the time is we've tried to map out 
what the like Visa, Mastercard, Ingenic of this world were doing in terms of uh, uh, patenting. And we've also looked at what Apple and Samsung was doing in that particular field. And back in 2011, the big push was about what became Apple Pay or Samsung Pay, essentially emulating a credit card with your iPhone. Um, and, and no one really investigated the idea of turning the phone into the terminal itself. So we saw uh, two opportunities here for this venture. First, they could start building and grow a technology in a field where there is no competition yet and less risk of building upon an existing patent. So the last thing you want to do is to build a company on a patenting a feature patented by, let's say, Google or Apple. <laughs> that's not a great start. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's one way to salvage that risk is like positioning your tech in a white space. And that also gives you another opportunity, which is to get your own patent on it. So fast forward uh, nine years, and that company got acquired last year by Apple. And uh, meanwhile, we've built like a portfolio from like uh, an early cheap provisional application up to uh, close to 10 patent family uh, filed in multiple countries. So like this whole journey about like going from the idea in the garage up to like the acquisition um, made me realize that maybe I do have a skill that could be useful if used wisely with the right people. <laughs> so that's in a big, long nutshell, what I do, who I am. <laughs> Great. And um, yeah, what, so how does, how does BCF uh, work in these terms? Yeah. Okay. So BCF, uh, the, the reason, to be honest with you, uh, when I, back in 2014, while I was still working for this big aerospace company, I thought that uh, either I could jump uh, and join a startup or start a patent practice geared toward the startup companies. And I honestly was not con even considering going back to private practice in a big law firm. And the reason why I joined BCF was because some of my former colleagues were there and they were very convincing. <laughs> but uh, for, for two reasons. First, I think BCF has a, an interesting DNA, still a relatively young firm that's been uh, uh, created 25 years ago. They really started as a little shop uh, and they've managed to grow with uh, some of their, their clients. Now we're close to 500 employees. Uh, and I think they still have this entrepreneurial DNA, uh, which I, I kind of relate to. And also uh, they allowed me to uh, invest in developing a, a practice uh, more geared toward early stage companies. Great, so, and so yeah, how do you, so then how do you work with tech startups in particular? Uh, so I, I really from the inception of the company up to, I would say, becoming a multinational uh, organization. But I think what I find the more uh, appealing and rewarding for us, uh, either as tech lawyer or IT practitioner, is to be onboarded in the early days and really follow the growth of the companies. And it's uh, it's a bumpy, uh, usually a very bumpy, uh, um, bumpy path. <laughs> and and I think the way I I, I started to look at it uh, is pretty much in the eye of an investor. And uh, instead of uh, investing my, my money, uh, I invest time. And how do, I, how do we build a pipeline of clients uh, which are likely to succeed ultimately? 
because we're a law firm. Like obviously, uh, we have uh, some financial constraints, and and it's okay to fail sometimes. But if you fail too many times, it's like uh, ask a VC if they fail too many times, what happens? <laughs> just pretty much the same for a partner in a law firm, especially when you. So when you deal with early stage venture, there's a certain amount of risk. You need to be able to. Uh, deal with that risk and try to optimize your chance of return of having a return uh, on investment. So the idea is when we onboard is to try to uh, define a framework in which we don't uh, we don't uh, we, we we limit the cost and the financial burden to the to the company and eventually try to ramp them up in a way that once they're well funded they can afford our our regular fees essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That sounds very startup friendly. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so then what are the most common mistakes do you think that, um, you know, surrounding entrepreneurs and startups with doing their patents? Okay, so uh, if, I, if I step back for a moment, in, 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 and I know that uh, your, your guys and your entrepreneurs are already pretty savvy on the topic of IP and patents, but uh, if I step back, I think you need to look at the foundation. When you start, you start a tech venture, it's all about the IP, essentially, what I call the uh, uh, the intellectual assets. So and to me, as a, like the definition of intellectual assets, it's a combination of your talents, so the quality of the team, the quality of your brain, associated with the legal tools that will allow you to capture uh, and monetize uh, your, your creations. And patents are one form of IP, Typically, when you're a tech venture, you're mostly dealing with three main buckets, I would say, patent, copyright, especially when you do software, and trade secrets. And there's always a balance to be striked between those three forms of protection and mm-hmm. always need to think about, okay, what do we keep trade secret? What do we try to uh, patent protect? And the and, and, uh, mistake that I see quite often um, there are many. I think the first one, the easy one, is like they simply brush the IP topic or the patent topic aside under the carpet and say, well, we'll deal with it uh, later. Uh, and I, I, this is problematic in many ways. Maybe not at the beginning. I think up until you start like raising some serious money, you may manage to you know, escape. But at some point, if your intent is to uh, build uh, a world-class organization which will be able to attract the key talents and big money and eventually be acquired, you need from the get-go, you need to take the topic of IP very seriously and bake it into your DNA. So, so yeah, one mistake that I see is that like, people just like don't address the issue at all. The other extreme is that they go too fast or quickly. Uh, the venture is still in its early days. They just have a general idea of what the product might look like. And like they rush to file a bunch of uh, patent application, spend a big chunk of money, and then forget about it for years because like, oh, we've checked that box. To, we, we, we're, we're good to go on the patent side. And, and, and I don't think this is the appropriate approach. I think it's like many things upon growing a successful company, uh, it's about planning for the long term and articulating a reasoning as to why you do certain things. And, and it might be fine to file a provisional or two at the beginning just to capture like the big general concept. But I think the value 
comes later. And you don't work with your patent agent just to get a patent application file and then you move on with your life. I think the idea is really to find a, a partnership, a collaboration, uh, which will allow you to grow an IP portfolio as you grow the technology, as you grow the company. So, yeah. So on the other extreme, I say don't spend too much money uh, too early uh, on, uh, on, on patent. Uh, focus on, on you know, uh, positioning the company at the right spot, make sure you are addressing a, 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 a difficult problem that is a, for which the solution is scalable and address an actual need, uh, raise the money, go get the key talent. And once you have all those ingredients, then you will start growing a portfolio. Like the, port the patent portfolio to me is like the icing uh, on top of the cake, but you need to like, first focus on the cake itself. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess that's why having good friends like you is important so that they know what to do and when. Um, so there's a lot of talk, you know, these days about open innovation and versus like patenting and how that affects the research process. Um, and I, I remember when I was at McGill, um, you know, I was so always like, oh, do you think you have something? Well, go to the go to the tech transfer office and like you know, fill out some forms. They're like, ah, you know, so it's like, it was like, I had to push them, go talk to somebody <laughs> about patents. So why, why do, why do we need to file patents anyways? A very good question. Uh, well, I need uh, to pay my mortgage. That one, that's one answer. That's <laughs> probably not the one you want or need to answer. I think you, you first need to understand why you think you need uh, to go for patent protection. Those things are um, costly, mm -hmm. and if you're if you want to run a business, you make decision based on the return on investment. So you need to think, okay, why do I need to patent this, and at what point of time? And uh, and, and and going back to the tech transfer offices, to me, it's really about uh, like the whole process of innovation of going from a scientific discovery to a technology to a product. And I think along that chain, there are various uh, IP strategies depending on who, whether you're the university or you're the entrepreneur uh, or the acquirer. And uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, I think Google is a good example. I think the key technology, the, the fundamental technology uh, was created while uh, uh, Sergey Brin and, and Page were still at Stanford and the original patent got filed by Stanford, and I think license or transfer then to Google. Uh, so this situation may, may arise, but I, I, I don't think you necessarily need to start from a, a patented technology to start a venture. I think it's really about uh, focusing on solving, addressing the right problem. And then eventually you will come up with some valuable piece of solution that in itself will be uh, patented. Okay, so just get in a little bit more like concrete terms, like for those who are at this point, when when is a good time to start thinking about patenting? Like what's the step-by-step, -step? one, two, three? Okay, so you need to start thinking about it right now, like before you even start the company. You need to deal with your IP and make sure you have a clean house, meaning that first you own what you're supposed to own. That it starts with simple thing as employment agreement, agreement with your contractor and developers, making sure that whatever is being created is owned by the corporation. Oh, so, so once, that should be embedded in every contract 
Oh, okay, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's the foundation. That's the number one. Because ultimately, if you want to patent something, you first need to own it. Otherwise, you're going to spend money patenting something that is owned by someone else. Uh, and, uh, so that, that's the first thing. Then after comes the, the, like, I think the ongoing decision process as to whether or not you should go for patent protection. And the, the usual trade-off is uh, like either you keep it a secret and you derive your competitive advantage by maintaining your creation secret, or you do the opposite, you go for patent protection. Patent protection, it's about, I will disclose the invention in the patent application in exchange of which the state will grant me a monopoly for 20 years on a certain piece. I see a patent as, a, let's say, a piece of property on a land. It's a virtual land. It's a virtual technological land. So I think every step of the way, you need to ask yourself whether that land is or will have some value uh, eventually. And this should drive the decision as to whether or not you go for patent protection. As to when you should consider patenting, it's, it's always a, like a difficult decision process because in order to be patentable, your invention needs to be novel. Novel means that it has not been publicly disclosed by anyone, including yourself. So if you consider releasing, for example, uh, a, your MVP to people that are not under an NDA, what you've just done is essentially create your own disclosure. And for many countries in the world, this is what we call a bar to patentability. If I disclose my invention today, and I haven't filed a patent application, then I lost my rights essentially in many countries, such as China and Europe. In the US and in Canada, there is provision to the effect that you still have one year from the public disclosure to be able to uh, uh, validly file for your patent application. So uh, you need to consider that as a bar date. The other thing you need to consider is competition because if you're working on something which is valuable, chances are that someone else in the world is also trying to uh, address the same problem and they may come up with a similar solution. And if they do eat the patent office before you, then you are kind of stuck because they will own the patent. Even so you've created on your own without them, the invention, they will still be in a position where they can block you to, to the market, essentially. Mm. That's a bummer. Um, <laughs> let's try to avoid that, people. Try to avoid that. Um, and so, I mean, startups in the beginning they have no money um so which yes. is probably probably the biggest reason why they don't i'm not sure that it's not that they're not thinking about it it's that they can't do much about it um without having a little bit of cash and i mean i do see some people like a stealth mode you know uh in, in what they're doing but i don't know i it's pretty hard to build a startup in secret uh <laughs> when yes. you need so many people to help you so what are like what what's all involved like cost wise Okay, well, it's a very like it's a very good question uh, because patents are not cheap; they are expensive. Like the cost of obtaining a U.S. patent and maintaining a patent for uh, in the U.S. for twenty years is roughly fifty thousand dollars. So oh. it's a huge amount of money. Wow. But the good news is that you don't have to pay that money upfront. Oh. You can start with uh, like you can spread the cost over like the twenty years of the patent. Uh, and, and, and usually the process starts with filing what we call a, patent, a provisional patent application. So these things are not that expensive. 
you can either have your patent agent like me uh, do it for you, or you can work closely with the patent agent to do most of the work yourself. And that's, and that's, that's what I, I like to do when I start working with a very early stage venture where money is tight, but I, I'm convinced that they will go somewhere and that they're onto something big. So I personally rather that they keep their money uh, and, 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 and do the work themselves. So what you can do is a, pat a provisional patent application. It's all about uh, describing your invention and also describing how your invention could be implemented by others. So, and it's, it's more of a technical exercise where your engineers will have to explain and describe in plain English with drawings uh, what the invention is about, how it works, how it could work. And, and ideally, if you really want to be, you know, use the system to your advantage, is that you try to anticipate the various direction that the technology could go. And especially when you are in the early days, you are very likely to pivot a few times. So what you want to avoid is to file a patent application on something that will be irrelevant two, three years from now. So you need to anticipate and start to, you know, read through the crystal balls and come up with all those ideas and document that into the provisional application. So provisional application, if you do most of the work and you just have like a professional like me review your work, you could get it filed for, let's say, three to $5,000. That will secure you a priority date. And then from that date, you'll have a year to decide what you want to do with it. And you can... Uh, file it as a national regular application, or you can file it as what we call an international PCT application. PCT application, it's a pretty cool tool because instead of having to file it in five or six countries, which will cost you a fortune, you say, mm -hmm. I'm just going to file a single international application, which is going to cost me five to six thousand dollars. Uh, in terms of uh, governmental fees and filing fees, you need to add like the work with your parent agent, but essentially it will secure your application at the international level, buying you an extra year and a half before deciding in which countries you will go. So if I go back uh, with what I just said, you start with a provisional application, let's say three to 5,000. A year after you file your PCT application, five to 6,000 in, in, in filing fees, plus the time you will spend with your patent agent, that's where it can add up to eight to $10,000 for complex technologies. And then you, you're good to go for another 18 months. So two years and a half from the date of, uh, of filing the provisional application. The idea is that within those two years and a half, you have enough time to start raising capital, to start validating your product and, and be in a better position to support the financial cost associated with patenting the technology. Gotcha. Okay. Whew. So, yeah, there's That's a, lot a lot of information. Here. Yeah, this is a lot of information. <laughs> That's why we're going to try and throw some jokes in between. So, <laughs> woo yeah. You know, it, it can be exciting. It can be. Um, so one thing that I notice is, um, especially, you know, in Tandem Launch, which is Canada's premier incubator, um, it's hard to find good software IP. And I, it's because I think it's hard it's hard to patent software. So can you talk to us a bit about that? Great question. I think we could go on for an hour just on that topic. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a moving target about that. Um, there used to be a time up into, until 2012 where pretty much anything under the sun could be patented in the US. So that led to like crazy things such as like uh, 
patents on a method for training a cat or a method for edging financial risk between financial institutions and so on. So uh, the, the U.S. Um, um, uh, scaled back a little uh, through various uh, uh, change in the law, the American Invent Act of uh, 2013, and a key uh, Supreme Court decision called Alice, where essentially they've said, okay, we, we, we cannot grant you a monopoly, a patent on what we call an abstract idea. We can grant you a patent essentially on a technical solution to a technical problem. So when I translate this like, key legal principle to software, you usually you end up in a situation where like the, the, the general idea, the general concept uh, is what we call an abstract idea that in itself cannot be patented. But when you start drilling down as to how you implement that general idea, usually you happen to uh, solve technical problem and come up with technical solutions. And you look at the Uber patent portfolio, for example, they did not manage to obtain a patent on the general concept of putting in contact a driver and a passenger. What they've built instead is a patent portfolio targeting technologies enabling this platform to operate and exist. So they have a bunch of patents on like geolocalization, optimization of routes, uh, pricing, and so on. So all those pieces that are software implemented are patentable, providing that they are novel and inventive, which are the, like, the key legal criteria for patentability. Right. Okay. And then because these things can be so... Because once you patent, that means that people have access, you know, to the details of, I guess that's, that's the other side of the, the downside or the upside. That's the trade-off. Yeah. That's yeah. the trade-off. And then so people can go look at that. Oh, I'm going to modify that just enough. Yeah. Um, this is the problem with the patenting algorithms, right? And, and, and that's part of the decision process. And I think that's where like the professional with who you're going to work, I think his main role should not be to file patent application and charge you for a patent. I think the value is more on the advising, on helping you making the right decision before you spend the money. And, and when it comes to like patentability of software, the most challenging part is about extracting what is the invention. Because like throwing me uh, uh, 10,000 lines of code is not going to help. We need to work out together to be able to say, okay, this is what the, like the novelty aspect, like the, 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 the core of what we believe we've invented. And, and we need to extract that usually through what we call an invention mining session. And we need to bear in mind that that thing needs to be novel to be patentable. So usually we start with the inventors themselves because they are the one who've created the, 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 the algorithm, let's say. And they are the one who tends to know the state of the art. But usually we recommend to do also a top-up prior art search that they can do themselves like with tools like Google or, and uh, Google Patents, all that we can do uh, with uh, our professional searcher. And the idea here is to assess the novelty of what they believe they've created. And very often they think they've invented this and you do a search and you realize that indeed the novelty uh, features are just that. And at that point of time, you need to make a business decision. You need to decide whether or not it is worthwhile to invest the money in trying to get a monopoly on this. Because if this is very narrow, it means that my competitor, you know, is have 10 other ways to implement 
they'll go for a design around. So the value of my patent will be very limited. So I would say you need to, like you invest if you, I think you come up with something great and novel and which is likely to become a, a broad enough patent to, you know, uh, become a valuable piece of uh, virtual land, so to speak. Yes, yes, yeah. The value there, I think, is that's the key. Um, and so <laughs> I remember, again, when I was at McGill, <laughs> just to slam them a few more times, they're a great university, love them. Um, a lot, sometimes the, you know, everyone thought they had something, and then, yeah. you know, get they get there and like, you know, there's nothing really this is not novel. You thought you did something great and you didn't. So how do you, what happens when that happens to you? And like, how do you very nicely tell them? Don't be discouraged because that <laughs> off, like, it, it happens like 99% of the case, especially <gasps> when we start working to, 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 together in an early stage venture, things they come up with something great and you start digging and you find out that someone else in China have already investigated the, the field. And I said, look, it's it's not so much about the solution. Don't focus so much about the product. I think to me, it's about uh, finding the right problem to solve because that's what's going to keep you busy for the years to come. And by really like, focusing on this, uh, like, on the right problem, you will create stuff. You will invent and you will crack nuts for providing you have the right team members, but you will get there. And this will lead to valuable, palatable invention eventually. So mm -hmm. don't be discouraged. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. This is a it's a startup mantra uh, around yeah. town launch. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. So, what really is the like uh, the risk in working um, on a project um, while you're still employed? So, you know, because there could be a conflict of interest. You know, depending on what what you've done, probably more than anything. Yeah, it's a, it's a situation that we see that we tend to see a lot because I mean we're in a small ecosystem, and very often times people start working on their ID and their company while they're still employed by their current employer, and more often than not, uh, we need to well not sometimes we need to inform them that because of their employment contract they have an obligation to transfer all of their IP and their creation to their current employer. So you need to be very careful if you start working on a new concept, on a new venture. While Even if it's in your garage. Employed. Even if it's in your garage, as long as it's close enough from a technical standpoint from what you're being employed for. So let's say I work for an aerospace company and in my garage, I come up with an improvement for a Sorry, I have the word in French, in tondeuse, the lawnmower. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. I may have an argument to the fact that this is totally unrelated to my employment, and therefore the aerospace company has no claim over my creation. Right. But very often times, like, you're going to start a venture because, you know what, it's close enough from your field of expertise and experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where it gets tricky and dangerous because... Uh, Whatever you create or even you find the an application at that point of time will likely be owned by your current employer. So you really have to like, cut that line and start working on your concept and your technology once you are no longer uh, in that contractual relationship with your employer. Okay. Yeah. And especially like a lot of employment contracts have, have a clause, even though they don't tend to exercise it often like you this is your must be your only employment and 
you can't have another job at the same time kind of thing, which I mean, a lot of people have another part time job that I don't think that's the issue. It's but when it comes down to that, that's where that that contract can really. Oh, dear. I did not know that. So that is good to know. World world. Listen up. And, and as you said, they, they tend not to enforce, but I can guarantee you that if you come up with something extremely valuable, oh, yeah. they will enforce. Knock, knock, knock. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. there's, a, there's a famous recent case. It's the Waymo case. So a bunch of uh, engineers from Google working on autonomous vehicle technology uh, left Google and started a, start, a company called Waymo. They've raised money, they've built their tech, they got acquired by Uber. Transaction over $100 million. Google filed a claim against Uber for uh, trade secret misappropriation and patent infringement. And they succeed. And they settle the case for a big chunk of money. Because some of the uh, information and invention that were created while the employee were at Google leaked somehow in the new startup that they've created. Well, I mean, they were all there, so it's in their heads, and then they went over here and exactly. it in their heads and put it out here. So, and that's where yeah. it gets very tricky to, especially, it's very tricky to draw a clear line between what is owned by your former employer and what is yours. But yeah. at the very least, don't start finding an application while you're still employed at the other place. Right. Okay. Yes. Words of wisdom there. So then aside from patents, um, what other yeah. IP rights can can tech entrepreneurs take advantage of? But when you're in tech, I think you really need to be comfortable with like three main buckets of IP rights. So patent and industrial design, trade secret and copyrights. Uh, we talked a lot about tech patents. Patents, if you go back a little, they will protect uh, uh, the inventive concept. Uh, so... Uh, Ideally, if it's well-crafted, uh, it will not be specific to a given implementation. So the idea is that you manage to obtain a monopoly on a broad concept, which could be implemented in multiple ways. That's the base case scenario. As I said, you also have pretty like the little brother or little sister of the patent is the industrial design in Canada, the design patent. Those are specific to protecting the way things look. For example, the way my iPhone, the, the design of the frame looks, but also the apps and the layout uh, of the software. And you can look up uh, Apple or Google design patents. It's very interesting to see how far they go in trying to protect the, the visual appearance of their stuff. So essentially, if you put some money in designing some improvement to the graphical user interface, you might consider a design patent as a way of, uh, uh, of protecting your innovation. So that's for the main bucket, patent and judicial design. The second one is a copyright. The copyright, uh, broadly speaking, it covers like uh, many creation of the mind, including artistic creation, but first and foremost, in your case, uh, software. So the source code, uh, the, the first uh, form of IP that is associated to the code is the copyright. And the copyright will grant you the exclusivity of uh, of uh, reproducing or redistributing the software, meaning that someone cannot just copy your source code and 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 put it into the product or or share it to the public without your prior consent. The beauty of copyright is that you don't need to do anything to benefit from it, meaning that you do not need to register your copyrights to have the right. 
You may do so in certain circumstances, typically before initiating litigation. Uh, but otherwise, the only thing you need to do is to have like good practice uh, in your development team. Make sure you have the proper headers in the source code files, a little c, uh, identity of the owner, the rights of the corporation, and the year of creation. Uh, the copyright is key to the open source license. Like I'm just opening a quick parenthesis here, uh, but uh, very often for software developer, at least at the time when I was a student in software engineering, I said that, ah, it's open source, it's open bar. I can do whatever I want with it. And this is very wrong <laughs> because open source uh, is tied to copyrights. And when you include, like you start using, let's say TensorFlow, which is a Google suite for machine learning, which is released under open source licenses, meaning that you can use it for free, but it comes with certain obligation, meaning that if you start making improvement or modification to it, you generally are under an obligation to publish those uh, improvements under the same, uh, um, under the same, uh, uh, under the same uh, parameters and under the same uh, uh, rights. So, uh, this can be very dangerous if you start building your technology using open source modules mm -hmm. without keeping track of the licenses that are associated with the modules and without understanding what are the consequences. Because you may end up thinking that you're building a proprietary technology that is yours, and then you find out during, let's say, an acquisition, uh, scan the, the, the acquirer will scan your source code and identify something that should have been released under an open source license. And that means that what you thought was proprietary is indeed governed by an open source license and you have to uh, release it under the same uh, uh, terms. So that's that's something to watch out. And that's for copyright. Yeah. And just to finish on copyrights, uh, it's, it's, it's free, so it's great, uh, but it will limit your protection to the specific implementation of the code itself. Means that if you come up with this uh, fantastic new algorithm, and you code it into, let's say, Python, yes, your code will be protected by copyright, meaning that you would have a course of action if someone takes the code, copy it, and, re and, and paste it in his own products. Uh, what you will not protect is the underlying logic of the algorithm. And that's where patent and copyright comes to uh, comes and enhance together. Because with patents, you could protect the algorithm like the more generic idea and concept, mm -hmm. and the copyright will protect the specific implementation in a given... Uh, um, code language. So that was for the second bucket. <laughs> but I could fast track, uh, but the, the last one is a trade secret, but I think it's an important piece into the equation as well. But, uh, so trade secret is essentially you, 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 you build a competitive advantage by keeping your creation a secret. Uh, it's easy to say it's very hard to implement because often case I see like startups, you do the due deal, and they say, oh, we don't file patent. Our IP strategy is about trade secrets. And you say, yes, but you don't have any policy nor process in your corporation that you're building this incredible stuff and all of your employee and consultant have access to it. So someone can leave the company and just restart another competitive company using the exact same principle. And yes, it may be in breach of agreement and you can go after him, but once a secret is leaked, it's like a two space out of the tube. You cannot mm. put it back in. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you go and you need to form a valuable form of protection, but you need to make sure you have the proper process and policy in place, you restrict access to the golden nuggets of your technology. Uh, and, and you do it only if you think that you could keep those nuggets secrets, because if they end up being in the product or in the software that is licensed to someone else, then you're, you're left with a patent as your only option for protection because otherwise you just release publicly your technology with no rights associated to it. Okay, yeah, so don't do that. <laughs> Everybody don't do that. Okay, great. So um, we're going to tie up uh, this podcast. I'm starting to ask this question to everybody. So this is a random question. Um, in the world of superpowers, so you can imagine all the superpowers out there, if you could have one superpower, um, which would it be and why? Whoa, it's a question to me or to the yeah, audience? You. <laughs> if I had a superpower, wow, okay. Uh, huh. So mine is yeah. teleportation. I, I want to be able to go from A to B without traveling. I want to just boop uh, and then yeah. boop, I'm in China or boop, I'm at work, like without it, the travel, like it's, it's, it's a drag. I'm more into a uh, time traveling. Mm. That would be a superpower that I would that be, would be very cool. Time. And especially for what we do, because that would give us a hint as to which direction we should be heading. <laughs> or go back and get lottery numbers. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's so that... too easy. That's too easy. But at least just, like, you know, the general technological trend, because it's such a hustle to try to anticipate what's going to come next. Because the reality, I think, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are, or experienced you are, you're still dealing with a high level of uncertainty. So we think the big thing is going to be this, but turns out that, ah, the COVID vaccine will take over instead. Okay, so crystal balls for Julia and for Chris. Yes, that's, yes, yes. that's a nice way to... Spin. Perfect. Okay, so then uh, tell everybody um, how they can get in touch with you because indeed there's lots to lots to learn and lots to know. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity, but I'll be more than happy uh, to uh, jump on a call or over coffee. Uh, that's what I I like to do. Uh, so feel free to reach out uh, uh, at my email address, uh, Julien Lacheray, Julien Lacheray dot Lacheray at bcf dot ca. Uh, you can find my address on my uh, web page on the firm website. Or also, you can text me at 514-210-4883. I'll be glad to nice. answer your questions. Awesome. Giving out phone numbers. Love it. That's when you know I'm really serious. No, I mean, sometimes it happens. I am serious. Please get in touch with me. And that's um, not so a joke. You. I'm not giving you the number of one of my colleagues. <laughs> that's my actual number. That would be a good one. So thank you, Julian, again for joining us and jamming about IP. Thanks again for the opportunity and uh, best of luck uh, to the whole uh, team. You're working on uh, great stuff, guys. So keep going. Thank you. So, thank you so much. So thank you again also to our loyal listeners. Your time is always appreciated. Uh, you can follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, if you have a technical background and you want to create your own startup, hit me up on LinkedIn and I can tell you about all the incredible opportunities at Tenum Launch. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? 
you can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com, and get in touch today.